Welcome to Everything Went Black Media Podcast. For tonight's episode, I'd like to welcome Karen Crisis of the band Gospel of Witches. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Savage Gold Coffee, which is my coffee company. If you want to check out some good coffee, head on over to savagegoldcoffee.com. And for listeners of the podcast, I'm offering a 10% discount code. Type in Coffee Crew 2015 when you go to the checkout place and uh, you'll get a 10% discount on an order of anything, be it a pound of coffee, a mug, t-shirts, anything like that. In a couple of weeks, I have a new roast coming out, the uh, Dark Roast, which is a uh, Peruvian bean. So check it out. Come back for more. Stay caffeinated. As always, we're brought to you by Datsusara, who makes hemp training equipment such as gear bags, hemp geese, grappling shorts, a bunch of other stuff. Onnit Labs, which gives you nutritional food, training equipment, cool t-shirts, awesome supplements, that sort of stuff. And naturebox.com, which is a relatively new affiliate. It's uh, basically a service which provides healthy snacks. Uh, you subscribe, you tell them what you're into, you know, vegan, gluten-free, no nuts, low sugar, organic, and they just send you stuff in the mail. Not a bad deal. It's pretty cheap, too. So most people uh, will know you from Crisis, uh, a band that was based in New York uh, and active into the early part of, of the, the new millennium. For <laughs> sounds very dramatic when I say it that way. Uh, but now you have a, a brand new band called Gospel of Witches. There's a little bit of a lag between the sort of uh, disbanding of Crisis and the startup of this new band. So do you want to uh, sort of bring us up to speed to what you've been up to in that time period? Sure. I, I've been up to a lot. I always stay really busy. Um, I started up my leather business again and and finished it again. I started after a 10-year hiatus of painting, oil paintings, and I was exhibiting in galleries and selling to private um, patrons. Um, but mainly the reason um, that I came out to the Bay Area was um, and, and left the band was I wanted to know what was going on in my life um, since a child that really came to a head while I was out on tour with Crisis in terms of the kind of experiences that people tend to call supernatural. So um, I've been having a whole range of these experiences that you talk about, whether it's jumps in time or premonitions of pretty intense things coming through, seeing dead people very clearly in the room at times, sometimes just knowing they were there, um, being able to heal myself or other little animals and not really know what happened, um, knowing when people were going to die. And when I would be in emergency situations or the band would be in emergency situations, being able to like call out for help from the angels and have things actually happen that other people could see that saved us from danger. Um, knowing like who was a good person to work with business-wise or not. All the kind of things that people pile into psychic and mediumistic categories. Um, and I had had so many of these things going on that um, I really wanted to find out what this was about. And these things seemed to me in contrast to what band life can be. Band life can be, for anyone who's in a band and deals with the business, can be really stressful at times, and, and sometimes it's all about the mindset of there not being enough and never getting where you want and 
always wanting things to be different than they are, um, no matter how, much, how many successes you have. So in a way, it's a life of struggle. And um, something in me said, you know, I just, I don't want to buy into this life of struggle anymore. I have so much struggle and darkness on my own. I'm trying to transform that into something a little more positive, at least to help me get through the days. So I basically told the universe, <clears throat> you know, that um, I needed some help and I wanted to understand what this all was about. And um, cause these experiences were coming hard and fast to me on a daily basis. And so I came out to the Bay Area and I just um, said, I had this opportunity to kind of disappear. And I told the universe, teach me, please. And um, things started coming my way faster than you can imagine. I started studying Gnosticism and Buddhism and um, I had a health problem that I was born with and I went to the doctor to get some help from it and she just said I can't help you because it had to do with like sort of like an eczema on my eyelids where um, there was this crust and I wasn't able to open my eyelids in the morning and it was extremely painful and I took the little pennies that I had and went to this dermatologist and she said you know I can't help you and at that same time I think it was a couple days earlier um, I had found a script for guided meditation which is basically just some steps to follow to take yourself into self-hypnosis and then, while you're in that hypnosis, talk to your body symptoms to find out what the emotional root is, or you can use the same script to, like, meet your higher self or your spirit guides. And I did that and um, had some pretty dramatic results. I did that for four to five days in a row, maybe 20 minutes at a time, and um, I healed this eye problem. And so I started delving into more about healing and trying to understand what some of these things were and... Um, I thought at the time, um, you know, maybe I would go to South America and train with some shaman, but the money didn't come. And I'd actually seen a TV special. I think it was TLC or something. I, I don't own my own TV, but I was at someone's house, and there was a woman talking about how, you know, she has this very seemingly normal-looking life to other people, but she was um, a pagan priestess, and she... Um, took you through a day in her life and um, in her rituals and I, I didn't really know a lot about that world but I thought wow this woman really believes in something and it gives her a lot of joy and passion and I started saying well you know what do I believe in beyond following my dreams and maintaining a sense of personal integrity and trying to reach catharsis through the creative process um, and so soon after that, I started having these dreams about Reiki. I didn't know what Reiki was, but these dreams kept telling me that I needed to find out. Um, I had the sort of dream, or I was in my room one night meditating with my cat, and I was laying on the bed, and this beam of bright white light came towards me, kind of like a cone, um, really solid, and I thought it was death coming to take me again. And I had almost died before, and so I thought, well, this is my time. It's coming to take me. And the white light sort of um, came within a few inches of my face, and I just screamed, I'm not ready yet. And um, so instead of dying, what happened was the next day I woke up and received all this information about how to go through the Reiki attunement process to begin healing myself and other people. And I delved deeply into that world, and it took so, me into different places. Let me jump in here real quick. So you uh, you almost died? I did. Um when I was, uh, I think about 12 years old, uh, I went to go visit my godparents, um, and they were living in Mississippi in another haunted house, um, and I had taken some penicillin for, 
I'd had some medical conditions since I was a child. The doctors are always over-medicating me. And for some reason on this trip, they gave me penicillin, and I started um, going into shock. Um, it wasn't just like an asthma attack shock, which I'd almost died from before, but um, I start, started passing out, and my throat was closing. And um, so my mother and my godfather um, took me to the emergency room, and I don't even remember arriving there. I woke up the next day with the doctor congratulating me for being alive. I was on a heart monitor, and he said, I don't know how you made it, because <laughs> we had lost you. Um, and so I went through another interesting situation. Two, two weeks after this, I was sort of recovering in the guest house of my godparents, which was on the bottom floor, and um, a lot of windows along the wall so I could see the garden. And I don't really remember much of that two weeks. Um, my mother said that they tried to keep me company and but she kept seeing this what looked like a shadow of death creeping closer to my bed every day she didn't tell me then she told me about 15 years later and she really believed that you know it was the angel of death coming for me but then at a certain day when it got like right inside the door something happened and it turned around and, and it didn't show up again and what was interesting is she never told me about this of course so much later but um, the, every time after this situation, I'd have asthma attacks, which was a lot because I couldn't really afford my medicine in the days that I was in crisis. I would hear this someone laughing in my ear when I would have an asthma attack. And my way of getting through it was to try to slow my heart rate and, um, and breathe my way into it. I didn't want to go to the hospital and keep getting these very expensive bills. So I had a lot of these pretty intense experiences, and people do tend to say as a whole when you have these experiences where you come back from the brink of death that, you know, life will change for you after that in terms of um, having doorways open maybe into the, the world beyond the physical. Now, when you, uh, when you, you know, had this, did you actually have like a quote-unquote near-death experience where you saw like, you know, the light and... You felt your consciousness leave your body. Did you have, you know, similar experiences during that? I didn't have those that I remember during that time period, but I had out-of-body experiences and experiences like that at other time periods when I was younger, even. So throughout throughout your life, uh, like you know, you, you mentioned like things just sort of didn't manifest in you immediately. It was sort of you had you know sort of glimpses into this world throughout different parts parts of your life, right? Yeah, I, I mean, ever since I was a very small child, I sensed that I was different because I could, when, you know, I'd go to school and talk to kids, they would tell me one thing, but I knew they were lying. Um, and, I, you know, that truth would come out. Or it was almost like I could see things happening or hear people's thoughts. Um, I knew when people were dying. I knew my, when my relatives would die before they died because I saw them in my, in my room and they would tell me not to worry about it, that they were okay. And I couldn't understand why everyone was so sad. Because I'm like, you know, Uncle Joe's still alive. So I was having a lot of experiences since I was a child. I just didn't know what to call them. I didn't have any friends who were into what you would call psychic phenomenon or mediumship. So, you know, when I left crisis, I wanted to understand what all this was about. I didn't, this was just my life. I didn't really know how to talk about it. Um, you know, and, and when I was touring in crisis, it could be overwhelming at times because I was around a lot of people all of the time. Yeah. And so I was reading people all day long, and I didn't really know how to sh turn that off at that time. The idea of healing, too, is, uh, you know, there, there's a guy named Steve Maxwell that I'm a big fan of. He's mostly involved in strength training and, you know, lifestyle and 
you know, jiu-jitsu. He was like one of the first American black belts in Gracie jiu-jitsu. And he uh, has a very, very strong belief that the body can heal itself, which is like coming at, at it from a different perspective than sort of the, you know, energy work perspective that you might have. But that's something I've always been very interested in because I try not to take any kind of medications at all, you know, not even Advil or anything like that. Well, there is the belief, even in the world of energy, that the body is built to heal itself. The only thing that gets in the way, there is the belief that we are already in perfect health. We are already in perfect abundance. We are already um, in a beautiful place. The only thing that gets in the way is um, our thoughts. Um, so there's this idea that we're already a physical being and we're already an energetic being. And it's the tension between the two. Um, the limitations of our own mind that get in the way of that perfect health. And so then the symptoms become whatever emotion we can't let go of or a memory that we keep feeding our thoughts into, and that creates a, like a blockage or so. But, ever, but even in the world of energy, there's a belief that the body is built to heal itself. The body is also built to receive this extrasensory information. The body is, you know, this or the energy body of the human being, that we're already built to receive all this kind of information. And if you look back to ancient times, um, they believed the same thing too. And that's how our ancestors learned how to take care of their health um, or create societies and plant, you know, turn poisonous plants into edible ones is they, through their psychic senses and their ability of mediumship, were able to access information um, to change their lives and to kind of step out of their own way to help their bodies heal on their own. Do you think, what do you think the reason is, is that most people in modern society uh, seem to be, you know, sort of suppressed in a way that they can't reach these, uh, you know, reach that sort of knowledge? I mean, you think it's just mainly the ego of the modern world or, you know, survival instincts or, you know, something like that? I think it's much heavier. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, there's, you know, first of all, the fact that as a modern society, we have access to a lot of information, but it's a very DIY society in the, in the sense that everyone feels like, oh, I have access to all the information I want. And when you try to learn about your psychic senses or healing arts or even nutrition, um, physical care for yourself, everything is broken down into really small foci. You know, there's a class for this tiny little detail. There's a, nothing is very holistic as it used to be in, in ancient times. The way of life there was much more holistic, you know, taking care of your body, your mind, your spirit, your emotions, um, the world around you, paying attention to how energy is. So we've kind of broken away from a holistic way of living and we're microscopically examining these um, smaller aspects of balanced living, if you will, which takes a lot more time and effort to look at the little details and when we're looking at the little details sometimes we forget the bigger picture um but something that i'm talking about with my new band gospel of the witches is the fact that there's a heavy heavy imprint left over um from ancient times when the church was trying to establish a synthetic religion which is to take empowerment away from the individual and put it in the hands of someone else whether that's a priest or a politician <clears throat> or even a doctor um, you know, to take away your own ability to listen, to listen to the universe, to listen to your body, to listen to yourself. Are you happy or not? And um, to decide to trust yourself or learn the process of trusting yourself and all of those 
that information, those signs and symbols that come our way to help us have a balanced life. There's so much dogma around that, and there's been this big stamp of evil, and a lot of that started with, you know, women who didn't even call themselves witches in, you know, around 1150 A.D. Um, people back then, it wasn't just, you know, women, but a lot of the education that I've learned has, has been focused on Southern Europe and Middle Southern Europe, but there were women down there um, from Italy. There were um, there were female druids and male druids from from Gaul and Wales and um, Ireland and England. You know, so the different um, groups of people. Although they did have a large Celtic population, there were people who um, were into Buddhism down there. There are people who worshipped Isis and other goddesses, and these were people who all had this really um, natural way of living that we could call holistic. Um, and they learned this through their psychic senses and through mediumship, how to have a better life, to heal from plants, um, how to attune to the natural um, energies of the sun and the moon so that their crops would be stronger. Um, if there were problems, how to, how to fix that in a natural way, how to care for their families and give them longer lives, and how to learn this art of moving energy for divination, for healing. And um, it just so happens that a large, the largest part of this population was women, um, and these women were, they were in, on historical record as having this tremendous amount of knowledge on how to actually cure diseases with plants. So in this time period where life was everything, life was about, you know, material possess possessions weren't such a big thing, um, they were actually able to change the quality of life, whereas other people who went to doctors had a hit or miss chance, and people who were going to the monks of the church were dying, most certainly. Um, and this way of life, of course, had to do with contacting your ancestors through mediumship, um, through doing rituals to raise your energy, get into a positive place, and communicate with spirit guides through mediumship, um, which we could call a lot of them talk to spirit guides like angels and gods and goddesses, and they were able to access information far beyond um, their own means to build a better life, um, to take care of themselves. And this became a great power. You know, they were affluent. They had positive uh, environments. And at a certain point, um, you know, the church and the military decided that they wanted to establish a different kind of religion that would have a different kind of power. Um, now, these women weren't saying that, you know, a, a woman was God. They were representing or they were accepting that male and female energies are what make up something called God that we're not even sure what we can call it because it's too big for our own imaginations, but we'll um, learn from representations of this God force and call them gods and goddesses and access the information they have on how to become better balanced people. <clears throat> people are having these experiences um, through these women and rituals. They were experiencing this the spirit guides, they were experiencing the angels, they were experiencing source, God or goddess, whatever you like to call it. They were actually feeling these changes. They were being healed. They were having ecstatic experiences and feeling um, the energy in their bodies. So people were believers. I mean, there were a lot of different cults, which we could also call cultures, I think is a much more respectable way to call it, um, of people who believed in a lot of different gods and goddesses, all getting along in Italy at this time period. Um, it makes you ask why, since as human beings, we're people who like need to see things to believe it. Well, I believe these people were experiencing these things based on books that I've read and information that my own spirit guides have given me, which have led me to these books. 
And that became such a threat to a more established order. So when the church decided that they wanted to topple this natural way of living that had so much power around women and birth and um, all of those kinds of health, they wanted to take, how do you take away that kind of power if people are experiencing this, people believe in it based on experience? Well, together with the government, uh, the military, they came up with a very um, strategic plan to delegitimize these women. So they started a smear campaign that these women were in league with the devil, you know, they were right. evil. And, um, and of course, in order to reinforce this, since they didn't have any evidence of it, um, they started a campaign of torture. Um, of course, they arrested women uh, by tens of thousands over a 700-year period, so much so that there were villages left without any mothers, grandmothers, daughters. There were just, like, the men and their sons left. Um, there were just no traces of women. <clears throat> and so they would imprison these women, rape and torture them, burn them alive, you know, use the ritual of fire against them, um, and did everything they could to show people, like, these are evil women and we're putting them down. But in addition to other people who didn't want to um, go along with this synthetic religion of like, okay, God is a man now, and you're not going to experience him, but you're going to have to take our word for it. They also tortured, killed, and um, you know, imprisoned other people who um, didn't necessarily go along, go along with that plan. <clears throat> and as we know, that stigma still remains today. I mean, we're just talking about a 700-year period in Europe, but this also happened in America and around the world. We still hear about women being burned as witches in, um, you know, Middle Eastern countries these days. There's still the stigma that, oh, women are evil. So, yeah, in contrast, um, it's very interesting that uh, the Italian witches at the time recognizes recognized Jesus as being one of them. I found a treasure trove of artwork of him with a wand and sitting in a coven of 13. The way people, I guess, sat was very um, particular. Um, but at that time, he was being represented for this new, you know, part of the new religion, which was um, supposed to have a male face rather than a female one. Um, and that seemed to be okay, that he was walking around doing magic, and for a while anyway, and, um, you know, healing people. But, um, and somehow he got away with this while women were being burned for this, but he met his own end too. Um <clears throat> But so it wasn't just a man-woman issue. It had to do with this more natural way of living, um, which is attuned to all the energy that is, all the magic that is available to everyone, if you can understand or learn how to manifest things, how to talk to spirit through your psychic senses. Um, and, you know, the church has put such a heavy stigma of evil on that that has lasted even today. Um, and... This is something that people still don't necessarily understand, or people hear the word witch even now and they think that's evil, or people, um, I know people who are deeply involved in church culture, so I'm not speaking about this from the outside, but, um, you know, women are still burned as witches around the world, and people in church are like, oh, mediumship is evil, talking to angels is evil, um, we can't do that, even though their priests and preachers suggest to them, you know, that they should pray to God and wait on an answer, which is, of course, anytime you open a conversation with anyone, any intelligence, any consciousness who's not in a physical body, um, that art of communication is called mediumship. So ironically, they're encouraged to have a mediumistic relationship with God, but they're not supposed to explore it too much. 
Um, and that again comes from this idea of taking the power away from the individual to connect to, you know, or to attempt to connect to God or source or where we come from and to, you know, under, to be open to receiving a lot more information than um, we get on a daily basis about jobs and stock markets and money and taxes. Um, you know, all the bigger questions. Um, people are really discouraged um, by churches and sometimes by politics from asking those questions. But it all started with the church wanting to, you know, implement a more synthetic form of religion um, that didn't really give people any instant peace, any miracles, any instant... Um, answers aside from Jesus's miracles. Um, it was kind of like a wait and see thing. And if you're good, maybe when you die, you go to heaven. And if you're bad, you may go to hell. So it's this kind of lingering punishment idea still hanging in the air. And um, it still very heavily weighs, I think, on people. Um, because I teach people, <clears throat> I teach student mediums and advanced mediums. And everyone that I meet is from different walks of life. And they all have a certain fear of if I tell people in my immediate environment, are they going to think I'm crazy? Um, you know, I have friends who are witches of different practices, and there's always that stigma of, um, you know, if I tell people, are they going to think I'm crazy or evil, or are they going to have a problem with that? So there's so much that, that, that smear campaign that the church and the military put into effect, you know, um, all those years ago was so effective. Um, it scared people at the root of the most important questions to ask as human beings that it still lingers today. And um, so I think that um, things like psychic phenomenon and healing are still um, at the outer edge, you know, whereas most of society is clambering for money and jobs and, and fame or whatever it is out there that everyone's clamoring for. It feels to me like a mass ball of chaos. And then there's all this other information that's available on the outside you have to be brave enough to take your own journey to step into the outside to see what you can find. And ironically, you know, that's, again, this idea of holism broken apart. Because we're built to receive that information. We're built to have those communications. Um, and every advancement that's happened, um, you know, throughout time, if you go back and research it, whether it's um, famous scientists, um, some famous doctors, people who work with electronics, people who architects, engineers, um, artists, uh, healers, people into magic and all sorts of other services, um, a lot of them will tell you they had an experience either with an angelic being or they took um, a particular type of plant that gave them a hallucination that connected them with some conscious being. Um, you know, these great leaps were taken um, during periods of time where people had uh, communication with with the an intelligence that was greater than their own. Um, even for some basic reading on that, Graham Hancock is a great uh, author. He talks about this phenomenon around the world. Yeah, I was I was actually just going to bring that up in his book Supernatural. He gets pretty heavily into that. Uh, one of the coolest things Graham said in an interview I heard with him, uh, you know, he was likening uh, you know the sort of exploration into the non-physical world the same way that an astronomer might look through a telescope at a distant star and he's using a tool to view something that's incredibly far away and incredibly hard to you know to to see and it that doesn't mean it's not there even though with the naked eye you can't see it so that you know once i heard him say that it, it resonated with me about like you know some of the experiences that i may or may not have had while ingesting some of these plant substances and some of the things i have you know sort of 
taken back with me from that exploration. And uh, yeah, it was just interesting that, that Graham put it in those terms, you know. That's a good way to put it because every you know everything around us is energy. It's moving at different vibrations. So like physical matter is a slower vibration. Um, our thoughts and our emotions vibrate at different vibrations. Some of them seem like they stick along or stay around for a long time, and some of them move and change rapidly. Um, you know, as human beings, we. We kind of identify with our physical body and our mind a lot because we're in our heads and we're dealing with what's going on in our heads and we're dealing with our physical bodies and then, you know, our emotions come in and out. Um, but I always think it's funny when, when I run into people who say that they can only believe what they see because as a human being, our physical body is really only part of who we are. You know, our, thought, our, our thoughts aren't things that we, are, they're not tangible. We can't put them in a chair and look at them, but we're using our thoughts all the time. Same thing with our emotions. We can all agree upon how a variety of emotions feel, but they're not tangible in the sense that we can't sit them in a chair and look at them in the face. Um, but we, you know, we all have that ability to walk into a room and know how our lover is feeling based on sort of like a vibe in the air or, um, you know, from someone else's body language we might be able to tell their emotional or mental place at the time we're already constantly receiving and sending out information that is intangible it's naked it's not uh, like physical matter you know it's invisible to the naked eye but we're gauging a lot of our daily habits and survival on that stuff um and if we want to take that a little bit further we have our personalities which those are also, our personalities are how we individuate each, ourselves from each other, but you can't really put a personality in a chair either. We're used to some of the symptoms of personalities by maybe seeing, you know, someone's preferences based on their clothing, or we may see their record or book collection and know some of their personal tastes. But the personality is something that we recognize when we, when we talk to someone else, whether it's on the phone or in, per, in person. But it's still intangible. But that's another thing that we, that's more information at a, at a different vibratory rate that we rely upon. We have our will, our determination to do things. But at the other end of the spectrum, everyone kind of believes that we have a soul or a spirit. Um, and they know something happens when we die so that all this energy, all this electric impulse in our body, you know, goes away when we die and no longer is this physical body animated. Um, and that's really where the soul comes in. The soul is even less tangible. It has less form than do our thoughts, than do our physical body. Um, and that's the part that when I'm teaching people on how to use their psychic senses and to um, uh, communicate through mediumship, I say, you know, the, the soul is sort of like an individuated piece of that energy that we all come from. It's not really disconnected from source or from God or whatever you want to call that term. It just has its own sort of individual path in this life and the next one so that you can have this idea of being an individual on your path on the planet. Um, but that's, being that that's connected always to that source energy, that's constant source of information there, whether you are aware of it or not. It's a matter of tuning into it. Um, with a telescope or an old-school radio and knowing which knobs to turn. We have some very simple knobs built into our body to understand these impulses, like our, our heart center, our emotions. You know, we go to a job and we get these feelings like, I really hate this job, it's not good for me, but we don't always listen to it. That's usually our soul or our spirit trying to say, hey, maybe you should try something else that's more in line with, you know, what you like. Um, 
or we meet people who make us feel expansive and, you know, bright, and we make people that feel us weighed down and, and like, maybe we should be really, really quiet and not move around this person. And that's information, again, coming from our soul beyond what we currently know as physical human beings. Like, oh, maybe I should heed this feeling. I don't exactly know what it's about, but there's some information there. But we're kind of cut off from doing all this listening because we're so used to wanting to, like, have evidence of everything, you know, that's tangible that we can rely on so that we don't embarrass ourselves in public by just operating on these hunches um, but again it, you know our physical body has five senses and our energy body has psychic senses that are located almost in the exact same place and it's a matter of learning how to turn that telescoping lens or turn the old school radio dials and to tune into that information and they can it can be learned um, and then the the glimpse into the world beyond the physical becomes much more um, Large, it becomes larger, it becomes more accessible, and it begins to make life on, on the whole make a lot more sense. The thing I have to say to the people who um, really only believe in what they can see is uh, <laughs> what about gravity? Like certain natural forces like gravity, you can't see that, and that's like a <laughs> right. fundamental force, you know. And the same thing with like even electricity, you know, you can't see electricity, it's a state. A powerful force, the way inter, you know electrons interact with each other, and it creates this power system. And that's really, you know, everyone will will, will agree that that stuff exists. The fact that we Absolutely. don't float into the cosmos, you know, is uh, proof enough that gravity exists that you can't see it. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's the same thing. You know, everything that exists on the planet, it's like. The world of the non-physical is pretty much a parallel to that, but there's faster changes. There's a lot more that's going on there. But just as we have physical laws, we have natural laws, too, and all energy operates according to those natural laws. Um, and the more you start to study the natural laws and looking at the old ways or some of the new, newer occult practices, um, everything starts to make sense in that way. It's just that things move a lot slower in the physical world versus the world of formlessness. Well, the other thing, too, that I always, you know, I, I always throw this argument out with these sort of materialist people is that if you get smaller and smaller and smaller, you'll find out that all of this material is really made up mostly of empty space. You know, I mean, like, all matter really is just emptiness. I mean, you get to a micro, you know, a sort of subatomic level, uh, you know, the, and it's matter is held together with probability. You know, it's. You know, when you get into like the more sort of abstract, you know, quantum mechanics and, you know, physics, there's like probability that actually holds matter together. So, you know, this sort of formlessness is, is more real than the actual matter that people can put in their hands. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, that's, you know, the same thing that applies to the world of energy. The more form there is, the more of a symptom it is or the more of a mirrored illusion it is. You know, you've heard people use that expression that life on Earth is just an illusion. Um, it's reflecting back what your beliefs are. And the more you move into formlessness, whether it's consciousness or spirit people, spirit guides, source, energy, all of those kind of things, um, you move into more formlessness. Um, especially, you know, if we're talking about this idea of God or where we all come from, I think it's kind of ridiculous to give that something so large that everything has to come from. So if we think of God as the source that everything comes from, like the planet Earth, automobiles, electricity, ice cream cones, men and women, um, daisies, how could all of these varied things come from someone who's a guy 
you know, a man hanging out in the clouds with a beard who has a really bad temper. So I think it's really funny when people try to limit with form something that is just so much bigger than what we can possibly imagine. And um, I think that that need, that ego maybe, that ego-based need to, like, understand what everything is and to, um, you know, base it in our image for some reason is, um, you know, why there's such that lingering idea of taboo um, against a more holistic and natural way of living, which includes information that is, you know, naked, invisible to the naked eye, Um, you know, and back back to the witches and the druids and the longobards and all these people who are practicing all these rituals, and they already believed in this. I mean, druids were spiritualists, you know, they believed that the consciousness exists, continued living after death of the physical body, and they weren't so hung up on trying to give form to God, you know, they understood that they could receive information from God or source in all things, in nature, through angelic experiences, through spirit guides, um, through maybe the way that a leaf fell, you know, through different forms of divination, um, and that's pretty much the way shaman believe these days and people of all different occult practices um, believe that information from the greater universe, the greater wisdom out there can be accessed in all sorts of ways. It doesn't have to be fit into a form that looks like a limited, finite human being, um, you know, that's going to constantly dole out punishments <laughs> if you step too far into the world of knowledge, which is the way God has been sort of built in the image of human beings. Um, which is really kind of interesting to me why anyone would want to follow in a God that's so limited by all these fallibilities and all these errors and all these short-sightedness as human beings have. Are you familiar with uh, the artwork of Alex Gray? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's like a lot of his artwork kind of speaks to, you know, this sort of energy world and how... I, I recently, I went to one of his, uh, you know, full moon ceremonies like a few months ago, and he had this this wonderful talk about energy and how, you know, this physical world is really just this temporary vessel that holds, you know, a greater self that we have, which is existing beyond, you know, this 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 reality that we're in, and that reality is just sort of this. I mean, if you, when you think about it. Our the way we process information is all basically drugs. If you, you know, your brain is a soup of different chemicals that interpret the reality around us. You know, so it's uh, when you think of it that way, what we're actually perceiving is actually kind of a slippery idea. Absolutely, and it's that whole idea that um, you know one person's reality can be so different from another, and there. Again, is that idea in there that you can operate within the natural laws to create your own reality. That, you know, life on Earth, as tough as it is, it's special because it can only happen here. And this, this is the world of, you know, physical matter. So if you want to look at life instead of taking it personally, like, oh, life is out to get me. Life is horrible. It's so hard. Um, and look at it more like a, a way to learn about yourself. Um, you start to th- realize that everything reflected in your day around you 
uh, everything in your day around you is, re- is reflective of maybe thoughts that you're thinking or ideas that you hold at the core of you or limitations or beliefs. So your re- reality could be very positive. It could be very negative. It could move in between those ideas of positive and negative throughout the day. And someone else could be taking almost identical steps to you throughout their day and have a completely different perspective of their life experience. And so there's this idea that, um, you know, the, your thoughts are things and the, the thoughts that you think and the emotions that you fuel them with change your reality and that you can co-create, like you can use, you could find a way to step in line or away from the line of the natural laws and, and co-create your reality in a positive or a negative way. Um, and if you start thinking about it that way, you know, that magic is actually at your fingertips to make changes based on how you think, how you affirm things, how you um, supply your thoughts with emotions, um, you know, realities can can be dramatically different and can be very excitingly malleable. And we all know how easy it is to get into a really negative mindset and then have that go down deeper and deeper and deeper and find ourselves in a place that's kind of hard to get out of because we've gotten to this emotional vibration that's so low, we're kind of not moving around. But life, guys, we can do the opposite. It's just a little bit harder to let go of all those things um, that got us down the slippery spiral in the first place to have this idea of hope and to affirm positive things that haven't quite happened yet to make change come about. You know, those are like the natural laws of manifestations to use the law of attraction, um, to use the law of cause and effect within our minds and our emotions to change reality. Um, and it can get very interesting. And if you start looking at life that way as sort of an experiment that, um, you know, everything, as we already mentioned earlier, we're already in perfect health, we're already in perfect abundance, we have every, we already have all our needs met. It's just our mind that's kind of keeping us from those things by allowing fear in, by creating limitations, um, by putting up uh, taboos, um, and... Um, keeping a certain amount of negativity there or not going with the flow there, then we have all these crumples and crinks and wrinkles and cracks. Um, But if you choose to not take it so personally and not so judgmentally and look at it along that way, it it becomes very interesting. It becomes this experiential way to um, understand the the natural laws and see how they work within each of us. If we think of reality as being, okay, that guy has a really he has a reality based on conspiracy theories and the world's going to end soon you know maybe i don't want that reality maybe i'm going to choose another reality and you know what i can maybe my neighbor is getting sick all the time and it's like a you know cancer colds constantly getting sick and i don't want that reality well i can i can change my reality based on what i think and what i feel and exists in a different place from that person. And that's when it becomes interesting because, yeah, what is reality, really? Reality, at the root of it, is just that everything is energy and there's natural laws governing that energy. And you can play around with those laws to see how far you can go with them um, to create what it is that you want to create. Yeah, I mean, I can I can be a, a big you know proponent of that. I mean, like about 10, 15 years ago, I was a much different person than I am now. And the only thing that really changed is my perspective on the world. Um, you know, a really interesting experience I had was with somebody that I played music with a long time ago. And, uh, you know, some really negative stuff happened between the two of us. And, uh, you know, we got into this thing where I was, you know, I would focus on the negative aspects of our relationship. And this went on for like a year. Uh, where I re- And then one day I realized that 
this meditation of anger that I had against this person really was not affecting this guy at all. It was really affecting me and it was making my life miserable, you know, focusing so much on all this, these negative thoughts and, you know, revenge and all this other stuff and, you know, hoping bad things happen to this person and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, once I was able to let go of those feelings, my life just improved. Like I did, I no longer was like consumed by these like feelings. And, uh, that also proved to me that no matter how much ill will you have towards somebody, it has absolutely no effect on them. It has a, all the effect on you, and it changes your quality of life. So that was kind of you know yeah. a profound thing I went through. Yeah, that's very a couple of important things you touched on there is like this idea of you know if you focus on something that happened to you, you're in a way keeping the past alive, or you could say in a way you're living part of your life in the past because you're infusing thoughts memories are things that no longer exist right like they're event they're snapshots of events that no longer exist and the only way that you keep them alive is to fuel them with thoughts and especially emotions so if you're spending a lot of time living as we all have on an event that happens in the past it's traumatic we're not living in the now we're not living in the here and now um but something else that i think is very interesting too is your idea of that you were saying um you know, wishing ill will towards someone else, um, you know, back to this kind of theme that we're talking about of, you know, the church attacking this natural way of life with the witches is, that's one of the things that has kind of lingered on this idea of spells, like, oh, witches cast spells, better be careful around witches. But, you know, as human beings, I think your story is a good illustration of that, is like, we, we cast spells, if you want to say, what is a spell? It's a change in a, in a vibration that lasts for a certain amount of time. It's not infinite. Um, but they, on a daily basis, you know, regular old human beings are casting their own spells, you know, hoping something bad would happen to someone or gossiping or bullying or, you know, being envious of someone. And um, sometimes that energy can reach those people and affect them. It depends on where their belief system is. You know, when you, some people have a worry ward mother, and that energy can certainly affect a person. If their mother is constantly worrying that only the negative things are going to happen to them, they may allow that belief system into their life and start agreeing with that. And, and you know, the negative uh, mindset can become theirs. But yeah, just this idea of thinking negative things towards someone else, well, you're, it's still a thought, it's still an emotion, and it sends ripples out into the world. How it affects that other person is partly up to them. Um, but as you, as you know, unless you want to break some of the natural laws, like the law of, the law of free will, you can't, you know, force something bad to happen to someone who did something to you unless you really bring about that force. And then you have to pay a price for it. Um, but so things, you know, on an energetic level can take, go into a physical level if that's what you choose to do. But then of course you're, you're working against someone's free will, but even with a thought or an emotion, you are in a certain sense. Um, but it is nice to know that they don't always reach that person in the way that maybe you originally thought them in the moment of, of heated anger. But that's still a way that we use energy in our thoughts to try to create change, whether it's positive or negative. Well, another takeaway from that situation, too, is that um, ultimately I didn't even take it personally, like what this person had done to me, because really they were sort of not capable of doing anything different than the way that their character would allow them to conduct themselves. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, they're, they're living their life based on their sort of game plan. And 
it wasn't anything personal. It wasn't like, you know, I'm going to get Mike, specifically me. It's just like, this is the way my life is. And, you know, the, the, the sort of pain that this guy put me through had nothing to do personally with me. It was just a sort of result of this path that this guy was on. So, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, I was able to, to get over the whole situation and just be like, hey, you know, this guy's living his life, man. It's got nothing to do with me. And uh, and that, that was actually a very good thing for me to go through because I've been able to apply that to other people. You know, if someone sort of, you know, conducts themselves in a way that doesn't really uh, fit within within the way I want to be treated necessarily, it's uh, it's really... It's like, well, you know, unless, of course, I've done something to them, which is, you know, I try to not do things to people that are, you know, going to harm them. But if that person's conduct is, is, is such that, you know, it sort of puts me in a, in a place of uncomfortableness, then it's, it's really just nothing personal, you know. Yeah, and, you know, you can take that idea even further and say nothing in life is personal. <laughs> yeah. That takes, you know, that, that is an exercise in of itself. These were, you know, these were some of the questions that I was asking, like, to talk back to what we were talking about originally when I left crisis. Um, I really wanted to understand all of these inner workings, and I wanted to understand the power of my own mind. I wanted to understand why, you know, when I was singing and when I was on stage with the rest of the band that I felt so empowered and positive and strong and balanced, and I wanted to know why, like, on a daily basis, um, when I would come up against maybe hurtful people or all sorts of situations, I couldn't always find that, um, you know, that sense of balance or a greater wisdom that would help me get a different perspective on things. And I really wanted to, to I wanted these answers. So, um, now just not to abruptly change the subject, but since we're talking more about, you know, music and, you know, your, your experience with crisis, uh, it kind of brings us up to the present where you have this new, this new band that you're working on. So you want to, you want to get into like the, how this band formed and you know, what the inspirations were for this? Yeah, this, um, so I left crisis at the very end of 2005, beginning of 2006. And as I said, I was asking a lot of questions and trying to devour a lot of information and learn a lot of things. And, uh, it went very, very quickly. Like, healing work felt very familiar to me and I really dived into doing healing work on people with like cancer and miscarriages and liver disease and I really delved into that and my own psychic senses just kind of exploded open even more and um and I started having a lot more experiences with like angelic beings and people who were giving me a lot of information and at a certain point I think it came around 2000 uh 2008 <clears throat> Um, I decided that I'd gone through so much and I'd learned so many things that I felt renewed and refreshed. And I wanted to, I felt free of the limitations of my own past because um, at, when I left, I didn't want to make music again. I just really wanted to explore these things. But then I started feeling like I wanted to make music again, um, but I wanted it to express what I'd learned. And around this time, I had contacted someone I knew in Italy and um, we were going to make an album together, and he invited uh, Davide Tizo, who was at that time still in Ifoldueth, um, by email into the project, and they were going to work on songs to present to me. So Davide and I started emailing each other just about musical preferences and ideas and where we wanted to go with the album and to get him on board. 
Um, and we already started having some really uh, interesting experiences. Like in the middle of the night, I would wake up like three, two, three in the morning, and um, sometimes I'd be almost lifted out of bed, and I would feel this really intense energy in my heart center. And I would run to the computer and find out, oh, well, he sent me an email like 30 seconds ago or a minute ago. Um, so we had we were creating this really interesting bond over, um, you know, across the ocean just by email. And I knew that it was possible to know each other, know people energetically versus just physically and just being in the same room with their personality because I'd been doing all this healing work. Um, but this was very interesting, and I wasn't sure where everything was going to go, and it was kind of building to the point where um, I had booked my plane ticket, and I was supposed to go stay in Tuscany um, near our common friend for three months to record my solo album. But what ended up happening was, um, well, before I arrived, uh, Davide told me he felt like there was a presence in the house who was waiting for me and was, you know, protecting him, protecting the house before I got there. Um and so I arrived, and the very first day I arrived, I felt this presence as a, a particular woman, and I got this message that things weren't really going to happen with the album, and this is exactly how it was going to go down. And um, and every day after that, pretty much what would happen was I would get ready for my day in the bathroom, and I would suddenly feel the presence of this woman who introduced herself to me as this Italian witch from ancient times, and she would begin teaching me a lot of things. So Davide would be waiting out, you know, in the middle of olive fields, composing songs, waiting for me while I would be having this mediumistic experiences with this woman who I could see very clearly. And she was basically telling me to go ahead, you know, plan for the album, but there's a lot more for you to do right now. You need to learn who you are, um, that you have your own lineage as a witch. What does that mean? She had places she wanted us to go see and drive around in Italy for the rest of the month. There was a lot of things that she wanted me to learn. And so this kind of was not what I expected. Um, it kind of blew me away. I knew that there were things going on in Italy that were unusual. Like it would be raining, it would be a huge rainstorm, and I would walk out of the house and the sun would come out. And then I would go back into the house and it would be pouring rain again. Um, and we were having experiences with her and with these angelic beings everywhere we went. It seemed like Italy had been waiting for me and for us to start working creatively together, but to also learn this, this occult history of Southern Italy. And by the time we left, uh, we decided to go back to the U.S. and complete the album and figure out where to go from there, get a band together. The house literally began rotting. It, um, it was like one wall was being consumed with mold from the inside out. It was like as we left, the whole, the life force in the house was leaving. It was pretty hmm. wild experience. But we went back to the Bay Area and started working on the album, and she followed us there. And we had some very dramatic experiences with her that were just full of joy, and um, they were very, very intense and loving. And she began t simultaneously teaching me a lot about Italy and its history and who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing with my mediumship and what that means and what I'm supposed to be doing with my psychic senses and where to learn more about her and what part of the history written about her was wrong and what part of it written was correct. And so she was teaching me all of these things through mediumship, through visions, um, through opening up my computer one day and there would be a website on there with information about her hmm. wow. um, that I didn't search for. Meanwhile, Davide was writing a lot, a lot of music. Um, some of that music I was able to dive into and 
and um, find something to sing about. And um, I don't say that in a way that the music wasn't spectacular. The music was spectacular, and it was very emotional, and it really described, like, all our adventures um, that we were having in Italy. Like, it felt like this music was taking you inside the the roots of trees and into the depths of the waters and into all these mysteries. But I found myself suddenly not knowing what to write about. I wasn't sure how my voice was supposed to sound. And I'm I'm not really a jam musician and I'm not a prolific songwriter. I really need to imagine and kind of need to have a almost like a, a little movie in my head of where I'm going with a song or an album concept. I really need to kind of have a feeling of the atmosphere. And I wasn't quite sure what my part of the atmosphere was, what my contribution was. So we ended up working on this this way for a few years. Um, we did do a lot of recordings, but we decided that oh, this isn't grand enough. This isn't quite what we're going for. And I felt like the short end of the stick was on my side of things. So maybe three three years into this, I um, had begun painting again. And I had devoted all my painting to witchcraft and shamanism and healing work and all these things that I would, was learning through this witch spirit named Aradia. And um, she started helping me with my paintings because I wasn't able to, my technical skills weren't where I wanted them to be at all. And so we began, like, in my mind's eye, creating the paintings together. And she said, as long as you can visualize it, you can make it happen. And sure enough, she would help me paint these paintings that were beyond my technical ability. This is the kind of thing that you can read about, you know, in spiritualism in America in the 1800s. Some people call it spirit partnerships, the things that you can do beyond your own abilities with spirit helpers. Um, And once I went through a series of these paintings and a couple of shows worth of paintings, she was like, now it's time to make the music. And she had me go back and revisit some of Davide's songs. And I wrote the lyrics to Salem's Wounds, which is on the forthcoming album. And we recorded it. And I felt chills during that song. It was very emotional. It was hard for me to not cry. I knew that she was helping me. This music, I could feel her. And I could also feel something very distinct that she was bringing back a lot of sensations and almost like little movie clips of everything that the witches had gone through in this ancient time period their practices their rituals the torture that they endured being hunted down and I started seeing all this as um during that recording session is like I was feeling it it was hard for me to like not be shaking in the recording booth and I realized this is what the album needs to be about. It needs to be devoted to these women and the men who were there with them practicing and the men who protected them um, and everything else that I was learning from her. And so I, I expressed that to Davide, and he um, pulled out a few older songs and also began to work on new ones. And then it was very quick from there. We, you know, we had the concept, the atmosphere, and everything fell into place really quickly. And then it was kind of time to decide who else is going to be in this uh, band and what else do I need. I I really wanted to, at that time, I knew I needed to explore some more of my female range and I wanted to be free to do that and still have the songs anchored in this uh, masculinity, like in the choruses. So I set about finding some backing vocals um, and then, you know, finding who was going to produce us and what kind of sound we were going for and... And um, then it moved kind of quickly after that. But it took a while for me to understand what it was I'm supposed to sing about. I, I, you know, I don't like to, I don't like to just write to write. I want to have something to say. What's interesting too is uh, this, you know, th- this project was sort of uh, done. It seems like in stages because there was a, uh, you know, there's a Kickstarter involved in, in launching this thing as well, right? 
And yeah. I think that's like a very modern way of doing things, which I find very interesting. Yeah, well, you know, what I found was um, I found that, um, I, you know, I'd been out of the music business for a while and I really left everything behind and I didn't have a lot of connections. And I got the impression that I was really going to have to, like, talk people into believing in what I was doing now and that people were probably not apt to just believe in it. They would want to hear something. And um, I felt like, and the fans, too, maybe fans weren't going to be interested in what I was doing now because it's pretty different from the past. And I thought that, well, you know, maybe the best way to do that is to make a little movie about here I am now and to give a couple of demo song track samples and to create some sort of moving visual, like a mini video along with that, to try to, to show the atmosphere that I'm going through, going for. And I figured um, starting in that way was starting in the right place, from the heart, from a creative place. And whoever would be attracted to that would you know, want to help out, and whoever would not be attracted to that would, be, would fall away. But it was a way for me to say, Here, here's who I am now, visually, musically. And, um, and then I decided that, well, it's the fans who've stayed in touch with me all these years and who've been asking for this album. So maybe that's the way that we should start raising money to make this album from the people who want it. And, um, we did, and we raised a good amount of money, but we didn't raise everything that we needed to raise to get everything fully, you know, made and, and produced. And, um, we raised enough to get into studio and to pay for everyone to get into studio and do those kind of things. But I didn't want to look at it as a defeat. That was a very positive thing. People were very generous and um, very loving and supportive. And so I realized, well, we need like kind of like one last funder. I'm not sure if I can raise the rest of this money on my own. And right at the time of the beginning of the Kickstarter campaign, um, Marco Barbieri became president of Century Media again. And the mm -hmm. interesting connection between Marco and me was that he signed Crisis to Metal Blade um, in the early 90s, and then he left for Century Media at the time. And then when I left Crisis and was you know, selling and exhibiting my paintings, he bought a painting from me. And um, he had reached out to me and, you know, when I started a Facebook, too, to just keep in touch. So I thought, that's the person that I think um, may be interested in what I'm doing now. Maybe the, that label could be, like, the last funder um, and also help this go beyond just one album. And that's what ended up happening. So Century Media became kind of like the last funder for this project. And it was wonderful because um, Marco and everyone that I'm working with at Century Media also is a big fan of my creative expression and my history and the way that I do things. Um, so it's been a really wonderful way to do an album with all sorts of creative and emotional support in a based around you know creativity versus worrying about all the business aspects the, and how viable a project this may be. The the videos uh, were they produced by you know like by yourselves or, you know, did you work with, uh, you know, some sort of director? Because they're pretty compelling videos that you guys used on that campaign. Thank you. Well, um, no, Davide and I made those and it was the same kind of thing. Like I, um, you know, I'd meditate with Aradia and she'd give me a vision of this is what the video should be about. And so then we decided, okay, let's go, you know, rent a camera and make this happen. And um, kind of had to learn, I had to learn some technology on the fly, like editing software, which was something I didn't have any... <laughs> have any knowledge of and I'm not good with technology as it is and um, you know but we said this is what we have to do so we're going to make it happen and uh, it was it was a challenge but really really enjoyable as well 
you guys have a, a, a video coming out for a song off the album. Is that is that correct? We're working towards that. Yeah, right now, um, you know, they've released one song, which is the mother track, and mm -hmm. they want to release another one with a video. Um, we have shows coming up, and yeah, there's a lot of things uh, in the works right now. <laughs> yeah. There's a little more time in the day, but yeah, it's it's an exciting time. All the fruits are kind of coming out. Can you? Can you tell us what song the video is going to be, or is that hush hush uh, top secret material? It's hush right hush now. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so that leaves us, uh, brings us to the shows. There's a bunch of dates coming up, and um, one of which is here in uh, in Brooklyn, my uh, my home. It and, is, and as you know, Davide and I just came back recently yep. from from freezing cold Brooklyn, uh, rehearsing in your rehearsal space yeah. uh, for the shows. So we've, you know, we've fleshed out a, a phenomenal live band. We've got Charlie Schmidt, who was on the album, mm -hmm. playing um, drums live. And um, Ross Dolan, who did vocals on almost all the songs on the album, is also um, singing live and playing bass. And then Bob Vinya of Immolation is playing uh, guitar as well. And um, Davide's, you know, playing guitar. And then I'm on vocals. So, yeah, we're getting ready um, for a couple of shows at the end of March, which happen right after the CD is released, which is kind of nice. Yeah, it's like great. a little introduction, a little CD party. So on the 28th of March, we'll be playing Clifton Park, New York, a club called Trick Shots, and there's three other bands on that bill. And then on the 29th, we'll be headlining a fest, a really interesting fest at St. Vitus. And the fest is um, put on by Kristen Corvette of Sledis.com. It's called Legacy of the Witch. So the whole event is about... Um, witches and that, that heritage there. So there'll be like different types of music. It's not going to be just a night of bands. Um, there'll be experimental music. There's going to be artwork. There are going to be speakers. I'll actually be speaking about mediumship being the cornerstone of witchcraft and druidism. Um, and there's going to be a lot of interesting things going on. So that's a day of like art and creativity and information as well as music. Awesome. So, uh, Kristen, did, were you actually uh, interviewed on Sluttist as well? Yeah, she did an interview with me, and uh, it's actually on my Facebook page for anyone who's interested in reading it, or you can go to sluttist.com also. Yeah, I had Kristen on the podcast uh, a while, you know, late last year, I think it was. Yeah, she's an interesting person. And, uh, that's Sluttist. So anyone want, interested in checking out Sluttist, you can check out that podcast. It was a couple episodes ago and kind of get into that. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty killer. So is there any... Any uh, other uh, bits of news you want to release or any ways that people can get in touch with you or, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, like all that business? Sure. Just to, just to kind of give people a place to go to get information, if you just go to Facebook.com slash Gospel of the Witches, um, I'm posting, like, news there. Um, I'm going to be posting some information from our, our Brooklyn, Brooklyn trip. Show information is being posted there while I'm working on a new website. Um, my own personal Facebook, which I put the same information on, is Karen Crisis Official. Um, so those are the two Facebook pages right now in the anchors where you can find all this information until I get the new website up. Um, we are wanting to tour um, this year, so we're talking with the label about getting that in the works. Um, and I'm actually working on a couple of books about all this other stuff that you and I have talked about today, like information that I... Um, received from Aradia about the you know the legacy of these witches and also information I received from all the archangels in my own personal stories. 
about everything I've been through in my life or along those realm of things. Um, but again, that's all stuff that I keep posted pretty regularly on, um, on my Facebook pages anyway. Well, thanks, Karen. Appreciate it. Oh, actually, one last thing is uh, you also have a podcast too, don't you? I do. It's um, called Ancient Ways for Modern Times. I think if you just go to Blogspot, uh, Blog Talk Radio, sorry, blogtalkradio.com slash Karen Crisis, it will take you to my page. Um, I haven't posted anything too recently on there, just from time-wise. I took a break and I did a couple of um, videos instead on YouTube. I wanted to see if a shorter visual format would work well. And um, I love doing all that. I basically just channel all that information. So I take a question about something I'm interested in or a question that someone has sent me through the email, and um, I don't really write any notes. I just ask my guides to, you know, give me the information to share with people. So it's a great way for me to learn while I'm helping other people um, learn information. And um, so there's a lot of interesting subject matter on that on that. Um, Ancient Ways for Modern Times, and I'm going to resume that as soon as I can. But there, everything there is archived, and you can listen for free. Great. So uh, I'll see you, um, you know, in a couple months when you guys come back out here. And, Sounds uh, good. You know, until then, like, good luck with everything. And, uh, you know, I'll be looking forward for the album to come out, too. That's right around the corner at this point. Yeah, actually, I forgot to mention that it comes out March 24th in the U.S., and, um, it's at um, Century Media's website now, cmdistro.com. You can already see pre-order packages. There's um, some colored vinyl bundles. There's blue vinyl. There's clear vinyl. There's a T-shirt up there, um, CDs. There's some, some nice packages available already. And um, it'll be out street date. That was March 24th, right before the shows. Did you uh, do the artwork for that? I did. I painted the front cover and the back cover, and um, I worked with a graphic designer, on the layout, Davide, Dane, Sora, and I actually worked on all that together. That was a really interesting collaboration, so I'm really excited that that will be coming out, too. Awesome. And uh, there, there you have it. That's uh, this episode with Karen Crisis. Thank you so much, and we made it through this time. Yeah. Actually, just a little background. Now, now that we're safely out of harm's way, uh, we, we tried to – this is the second time we've done this uh, – you know, last week we we tried doing this, and there's everything sort of on my end kind of crapped the bed. I uh, my recorder, my trusty recording equipment, my backup files, everything got completely uh, foobarred on this uh, that last attempt. And even on this episode, even this one. on this episode, we had a small technical issue when we were talking about the Inquisition. Yeah, and as I was mentioning, since I in a lot of these interviews, I'm talking about what 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 really went down in the Inquisition. You know what really happened to all these women who are called witches. This has happened a lot, so this is not um, a one. You know, this has happened a lot, and uh, I'm finding it not surprising anymore. You know that um, maybe someone doesn't want me talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting, but we made it through. We so made thank it through. You so much. Can Can you hear that wind by any chance? No. No. There's like. This is some sub-zero weather we're in right oh, now. Oh, I'm sorry. And the wind is, like, ruthlessly buffeting my, my window right now. <laughs> I'm surprised you can't hear it on your end. But, yeah, it's pretty loud over here. Uh, well, anyway, have a good night. And, uh, you know, we'll all make sure we come out and check you guys out in, in a, at the end of March. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You got it. Oh.